does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. It is the 400th edition of Kevin's Corner. Kevin Bowen, and Eddie Garrison, we're back here Monday, May 8th. Just watched Anthony Richardson on a football field wearing a Colts uniform. Or I should probably say a Colts helmet. I guess there probably is a horseshoe somewhere on that red jersey of his. But rookie minicamp. Uh, we'll recap that here on the pod. And uh, our annual kind of, I guess, two weeks post-draft Projection of rookie playing time. Trying to get an early gauge of what year one could look like for these guys uh, come this fall. And then we will also play uh, an interview with Anthony Richardson's quarterback's coach uh, in between his time at Florida ending and the draft process, or I guess during the draft process, in Will Hewlett. And I think I mentioned this on last week's pod. I think you'll find it uh, hopefully pretty enlightening. I, I don't think it was just like a you know PR 15-minute piece by any means. I thought he was pretty honest in some of the changes that need to be there, and I think we saw some of that, honestly, from Richardson over the weekend. Eddie, how are you, man? I'm just trying to survive these dang allergies. Oh, boy. Saturday, they kicked my ass. I know. Same. I was outside mowing the grass Saturday. Uh, as I was telling you before we started to hit the record button, I had to take a 20-minute break because I just couldn't stop sneezing and my eyes just turn extremely puffy. Being allergic to grass pollen at this time of year is uh, hashtag not fun. Yeah, dude, it was um, it was brutal on Friday, or I guess Saturday would have been for me. Finally got inside to watch the derby, and then we actually had like a wedding reception, so not like a full-on wedding reception, but a little gathering. Luckily, I was indoors for that, and they finally stopped, but... Um, yeah, they definitely got the best of me. I heard uh, Max Bowen got his first experience of Olive Garden over the weekend. A little Olive Garden action last night. What a staple. Just what a, what a beautiful establishment. Just housing breadsticks and salad. And give me the Alfredo dipping sauce. I love Alfredo. Uh, great time for the Bowen family there. And it was a nice way to kind of put a bow tie on what hopefully will be the last kind of working weekend that I have for quite a while. Just because rookie minicamp. You know, it's kind of funny when I'm out there, Eddie, I'm thinking to myself, I, my first rookie minicamp covered was probably, was it Lux? It's probably 11 or 12. So this is probably the 11th or 12th rookie minicamp that I've covered. Mm-hmm. And this weekend was only the third time I've ever seen, well, I guess since Luck. So since the Luck draft, it's the third time I've ever seen a drafted quarterback participate in the rookie minicamp. And the other two drafted quarterbacks would have been day three picks mm-hmm. in Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger. So, you know, I'm sitting there at Friday's practice, and all of a sudden, in comes Tony Dungy to watch. Uh, Shaquille Leonard and Tyquan Lewis are pulling up, like, folding chairs. They're sitting in the indoor facility with the garage doors up, looking out and watching Anthony Richardson. I'm like, you know what? This is like what we've—I've used the phrase injection of life so often with the picket quarterback and why it was necessary and all of this. This is it. Like, Tony Dungy does not show up just to see— you know, insert undrafted Joe Schmo, yeah, Jack Cohn, yeah, you know, be the QB here. Wow, obviously Shaquille Leonard and Tyquan Lewis, same thing. Throwing out your guy like that, well, huh? I'm thinking of recent undrafted QBs. He's in the XFL, right? Probably. I I don't know. Thought he was on one of those XFL teams, but um, it was just nice to be out there and feel like there's something pretty tangible 
and and you're watching. And again, it's not the greatest analogy, but I do think there's an intrigue and curiosity in just watching him grow. You know, it's not a four-year starter at quarterback that we're watching out there. So watching how he operates in practices is different than pretty much every other quarterback I've seen. And I'll explain a little bit of that uh, coming up on today's podcast. Again, we'll get into rookie playing time. We'll talk about Will Hewlett and all of that and the QB coach of Anthony Richardson. Trying to think. Um, Got about a month to go here in the offseason program, Eddie. Um, The Colts will... Welcome their rookies back to Indy a week from today. That'll be Monday. I don't know why the NFL does that, where they get this week off. Like I feel like once they're here, they should be here. Um, so it'll just be the vets in the building. And then you'll have 10 OTA sessions, which, again, just remind people, those are voluntary. But 11-on-11 um, 11 11 sessions, uh, no full pads. Then they'll get the three mandatory mini-camp days in mid-June. And that's it. And we'll see this week schedule announcement. Sounds like potentially Thursday night. Yep. I don't think anything concrete on that end, but we'll chat about that on next week's pod. Uh, anything else, Eddie, before we get into some rookie minicamp thoughts? The only thing I can think of with that week off is to like let the rookies find a place, you know, get situated, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess, but I don't know. I just kind of feel like they're drafted now. Let's. They've spent the last four months training for track meets. Yeah. Let's get them used to football. You know, when... Anthony Richardson took the field on Friday, Eddie. That was, what, the first time he's practiced football since Thanksgiving week? He didn't play in their bowl game, correct? Mm, correct, he did not. So Florida, Florida State, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's been a long time. And again, some of these guys had bowl games but or had, you know, uh, all-star games. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's been a track meet you know, sort of competition to it. So, I don't know. just doesn't really make sense. Um, let's begin with Richardson. And rookie playing time? Uh, l- l- let's first go with rookie minicamp thoughts, um, just briefly from the weekend. As expected, Eddie, Josh Downs was the best player on the field, and, and as he should be. I mean, he's the one that's produced the highest of anybody in college at the highest level. Um, there's just a natural feel to him as a slot wideout that you see. And, you know, when you think about it, Juju Brent is not participating due to that wrist injury. Darius Rush and Jalen Jones are the other corners, but they're also day three corners that play outside. So it's not like it was great competition for Josh Downs, but he was tremendous, um, particularly on Friday. The amount of balls that Anthony Richardson threw his way, no matter where they were in terms of a catch radius, Downs hauled him in. His consistent, you know, Shane Steichen calls him a very savvy route runner. I think that's a good word to use. He just looks smooth. Yeah, very smooth. Very smooth operator there. I think he plays a little bigger than what his actual size is. It's probably a generous height on the old roster. I can't remember which scout in with the next pick said that too. He's he makes a lot of contested catches. Yeah, because he plays bigger than his size indicates. There are a couple of catches that definitely were like out of his radius or just out of his window, and he was able to haul those in. Um, you know, as far as Richardson, I felt like. I did chart seven on seven and eleven on eleven on Friday. I know that you know a few of my colleagues kind of looked at me cross-eyed, like, "Why are you doing that?" And I just think he's such a unique project. Every chance that I get to watch him, I will do that. Um, I actually went a step further, and I decided to routes versus air. I did it in my head. I was like, "Okay, let's rank him on a one to ten scale: 
10 is like perfect ball placement. You hit the guy in stride. They don't have to slow down at all. And one is, you know, whatever, terrible ground ball. I'd say of like the 20 balls he threw in that session, I felt like 15 or 16, I, I'd give him a 10 out of 10 on. Um, you know, there are a couple sevens in there where, you know, behind the guy, something like that, maybe one like four. Um, and again, some of this people can be like, dude, that's totally pointless. Who cares? I'm a big believer and I've got a credential and I've got access to stuff that, you know, not everybody else does. So I'm going to be grateful for that and, and try to provide some behind the scenes aspect to it. Plus, there are people out there who do care. Sure, sure. Yeah. I, again, there are people that do care. Hopefully, some of you are listening to this podcast. Um, but I just think it's good reference points to go back on at some at different times. First off, how raw does he really look? The Will Hewlett stuff, how much has that influenced him? You would think positively in him as a thrower, all of those things. So um, I thought in general, once you got into 7-on-7, seven seven, once you got into 11-on-11, 11 11, it was, for the most part, I thought he was fairly on target. I mean, there were definitely errant throws. Um but I thought he did a nice job. I thought he was pretty quick rhythm with things, which, you know, I maybe you're stereotyping a little bit, but I, I tend to think like inaccurate quarterbacks at times, they can struggle with their rhythm, like more of uncertainty. But I think with him, it's probably not as much uncertainty. It's more of just mechanical stuff, particularly when you're throwing some of those shorter balls. I, I, I'll say this about Richardson. I have never seen a quarterback spend more time in between reps, mimicking his throwing motion or mimicking the drops of his, you know, stance like him. I mean, they they had two tryout guys there, two tryout quarterbacks that yeah. that, that were um, throwing along with him. And when they, it was their turn to take reps, I mean, there is Richardson, you know, doing doing the throwing motion, doing his drops behind the line of scrimmage, of course, behind these QBs. And I I felt like it was one of two things. One, I just think that's kind of how he's wired. He strikes me as a dude that's just like always wants to be working. And then two, and it's a question that I asked Hewlett that you guys will hear coming up in a few minutes. I do think there's a point in time, Eddie, where you're trying to get robotic to become natural. Yeah. I think we all could probably speak to a somewhat similar experience. I don't want to compare playing quarterback in the NFL to all of us, but I think at some point in a physical motion we do, whether it was swinging a baseball bat, swinging a golf club, you know, throwing, shooting a basketball, at some point you have probably tried to take pretty entrenched fundamentals and change them. And I think the question becomes, when does that no longer become something you're consciously thinking about? To where like, oh wow, I need my right arm to look like this. I need to feel like my right arm pulling across my body or whatever that swing thought or motion thought is, when does that become second nature? Mm-hmm. And I do think that was a little bit of what Richardson was doing. Uh, there was a moment early on where Shane Steichen kind of pulled him to side. And Steichen was watching all of it. Uh, very close. The head coach was not deviating from from where the quarterback was. Uh, but there was a point where you know he kind of did like a footwork sort of teach with him. And Richardson, I thought, brought up an interesting example of at Florida, the shotgun drop for him was three steps. Here at the Colts, it's five steps. And he acted like that was a big, big difference. You know, So obviously drilling that, trying to become, again, second nature to that, I think is a huge aspect to what he's doing right now. Um, that, I feel like, was kind of 
the big stuff that I had, there was a miss I, I, I noticed he had rolling to his right, which Hewlett has, has said before. That, that was kind of something that they wanted to work on. He had some of those in college if you wanted to kind of pinpoint where his misses were to a specific you know part of the field or, or rolling to either side. Um, but I thought there was definitely some good. There's definitely some, some stuff to work on. I didn't think any of it was alarming by any means. I also didn't think I was sitting there watching a – Offensive Rookie of the Year, and he's going to win every single vote. The thing I think you have to remind yourself about Richardson, which I think is good and bad in these settings, Eddie, his best trait we will never see mm-hmm. practice in training camp. Mm-hmm. His best trait is when you make it real and he can show off his running ability. But why I think that is a good thing is it exposes him. You know, again, this gets a little bit into the golf nerd in me, but. If you are a golfer and you really want to see how good of a player you are, a lot of people say go hit in a driving range, which is dead into the wind. Because when you're hitting golf balls into the wind, the ball is exposed more. Um, If you hit a draw or if you hit a slice or a hook, whatever, it's going to, you know, be emphasized more when you're against the wind like that. So it shows your flaws. Well, again, for Richardson's sake, these practice settings are a lot like a golfer hitting the ball into the wind because he can't run. He, he can't shed guys, and you can't take him to the ground. So it's all it's so much of it is throwing-based, which I think is a great opportunity for him to drill that and all of those things. You know, he mentioned the playbook, uh, a little bit bigger, a little bit lengthier. Um, some concepts that overlap from his days at Florida – it seemed like he had kind of a decent amount of control at the line of scrimmage, so I think those are things that you like as well. Uh, but I, I would say that was the big stuff. You know, Shane Sykin pointed to kind of his energy and his presence, which he really appreciates. I think that's good to ha- for a quarterback to have that. Mm-hmm. Naturally, you want to gravitate towards that. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that, that covers everything, really, on the Richardson front. Uh, you have anything other Richardson-centric from rookie minicamp? There really weren't a lot of takeaways outside of him. Uh, one word. Walgreens. <laughs> he did make a stop. That was Walgreens. I was uh, I was doing Indiana Sports Talk uh, with Bob Lovell Friday and Saturday night, and I was listening back to the uh, Anthony Richardson press conference, and I thought that was the best soundbite out of the entire thing. Yeah. That was fantastic. Yeah, it was. Um, again, there is like a, a common theme or just a common – there is like a human element to him. It's like, oh, yeah, he's 20 years old. Yeah. And you know what, Eddie? I, I also thought this. Need some soap, some deodorant. God, and we all have been there. Um, Friday afternoon was probably the first, first time he has ever practiced football outside of Gainesville, Florida. I mean, I guess he grew up in Miami. So what, nine outside years Outside of old? the state of Florida, Ten yeah. Ten years old. And if you want to get like technical to the city. I mean, yeah, this yeah. is his first time outside of Gainesville. That's why his family, and it sounds like some of his and handler sounds like such a bad term. Manager. Uh, yeah, like some of his team will be moving with him to Indianapolis. So, again, there's a genuine nature to him that I think fans will really gravitate towards. Okay, no Juju Brents in rookie minicamp with that wrist injury. The thing that stands out to, about him is like, Size. I mean, six three, and just the just the wingspan. And chatting with him, um, Emil Echior. We'll sneak this in before we move on. The undrafted free agent out of Bama, the Cathedral High School product. Sounded like a knee scope a couple years ago. Kind of got him medically red flagged by some teams. Mm. You know the draft. You know it, it's interesting when you go through these medical exams, Eddie. 
oftentimes, I shouldn't say often, but sometimes you can get players like Ekior, who I believe started his, was it, final 40 games at Alabama? Something like that. Over his final three seasons. So he, there's no medical issue that caused him to miss playing time. But yet, you get into these NFL exams or whatever, and they look at a particular body part, and they'd be like, oh, that body part's got three years of shelf life left on it. You know, or, or something like that. So yeah. I don't know if people look at Ekior's knee situation and say, hey, he played through that at Bama, but that dude's not playing into his late 20s in the NFL. Um, so that is a little bit of a, I know it maybe isn't like the most like politically correct way to look at it, but it's just reality when you're trying to draft these guys and make investments into them past, you know, three or four years. But, um, you know, Ekior obviously will have an opportunity here for as long as that knee can hold up to be a guy. Um, that I think is not only in the mix for a roster spot, but potentially for some playing time. Did any undrafted rookie free agent stand out at all? Not too much in a positive light. Uh, Braxton Westfield out of Carson Newman had a really, really poor Friday practice, several drops. You know, Typically, Eddie, what you see is you see a couple minicamp invitees get roster spots and they actually cut a couple of undrafted guys so all you know we'll watch today to see if that happens or really the rest of the week to see how that unfolds again rookies can't be back in the building but um no from un- undrafted sam i would say the sheer size of the cornerbacks stand out again when you see them on the practice field you're like whoa um, i thought uh evan hall had some nice moments as well um out of northwestern didn't notice will mallory too too much with that it looked like Blake, Blake Freeland was initially at right tackle. Uh, Jake Witt was at left, but I sh- I'm sure that'll be something that'll be, you know, kind of trial and error um, over the next couple of um, couple of weeks, couple of months on that end. I don't know about you, but you ready to hop into some rookie playing time? Let's do it. Let's uh, do it. Let's do it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You got an article up on 1075thefan.com about this, so if you'd like to read out, read up on Kevin's work, he's got a little more notes in there that we may talk on here. Uh, first overall, we'll go with Anthony Richardson. How much... Do you expect him to play? Yeah, and just to remind everybody, Eddie, um, and it's pointed out in the story, we, we do this scale off a 1-10 to 10 scale, um, the 10 being he is a surefire 17-game starter. The 1 being he'll be lucky to make the football team. So we try to kind of range it amongst that 1-10 to 10 scale there. For Richardson, I will throw a 7-8 at him for this. Um, again, you guys know that I'm a fan of him playing early, I'm a believer that Shane Steichen can cater a pretty specific you know, game plan for him early on to where you don't need the whole playbook. Um, you know, I, I think when you talk about the quarterback position and you talk about a player having to make some physical transformation, if you want to call it that, from Florida to the NFL, simulating and replicating that in practice only goes so far. And at some point, I think you just need to get him into those game moments you know, I would say the player that sat as a rookie that I hear mentioned most often in a positive light of like, see what that did for him, mm-hmm. is Patrick Mahomes. I think what people lose sight of is how much Mahomes played in college. I mean, Mahomes played 32 games at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. 32. Anthony Richardson played 13. So you're talking more than double the amount of playing experience Patrick Mahomes had at Texas Tech versus what Anthony Richardson 
had at Florida. Um, so that is why, again, I'm a fan of playing him early. So, um, you know, you're going to get, theoretically, you're going to get 13 practices here in the spring through the mini camp. You'll probably get, let's say, 16 or 17 training camp practices. So there's 30. So you'll get 30 practices between now and the end of training camp. You obviously have like two weeks between the end of training camp and the start of the season. But you'll get 30 practices. I would guess a couple of them will be joint sessions. Mm -hmm. You toss in a trio of preseason games. To me, I think that is enough to put him out there. And I don't want to act like you need to put him out there and the thought is he can only play if he's ready to play winning football. That's not my thinking. That, that, that That's not where I'm at. I mean, I don't think the Colts should be having that thought process going into this year. I know against the go against you know so much of what winning is all about and competition is all about, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not there with this 2023 team. Whoop-de-doo if they win. But the most important thing is just Richardson and his development and getting him, in my opinion, the most reps possible. So, I don't view it in like a, you're getting a player back from injury and you have to wait until that player shows you winning football. There's a good chance Anthony Richardson doesn't show you winning football to the level that you would like mm-hmm. his entire rookie year. Hell, Peyton Manning didn't show you that yep. in 98. So, to me, it's get him acclimated to what an NFL speed, an NFL field looks like, what those settings are, uh, what those moments are for him, and you know, get him away from a... Get him off the driving range and get him onto the golf course. And I know we're already into the second golf analogy, but I was if you talking. St- to, if you stuck through the first, thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that. Um, I was talking with somebody over the weekend. I thought they made a decent point about this. You know, when we watched the with the next pick series, and I'll, I'll give some thoughts on that coming up here in Twitter questions. But you watch how Morocco Brown gushes about Anthony Richardson. Ninety mm-hmm. percent of Morocco's gushing is what Anthony Richardson does in non-game settings. I mean, sure, there are moments where, obviously, he does things in a game that you really, really like. But a lot of it is practice-based. A lot of it is a pro day. A lot of it is a combine. So we all have friends or have seen people. Hell, I can't recall how many times I would watch your fellow kids in the driving range when I was growing up be like, oh my gosh, that kid is incredible. Look how high he hits it. Look how beautiful that looks. And then I'd stand at the scoreboard after the round and be like, he shot what? Like, how? Like, he didn't miss a shot on the range. Take it from the driving range, take it to the golf course. That, to me, is, I think, what Richardson is all about. He he can do it on the range. Did, did Morocco Brown say some of the effect of, Chris, you could charge people admission to watch him practice? Talking about Anthony Richardson. Yeah. That's great. But you got to see him when people pay a whole lot of money to walk into Lucas Oil Stadium mm-hmm. to watch him play. So that's what I think speeding up that process you need to do as early as possible. On the preseason front, how much do you want to see him play? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we got, I believe we have a Twitter question on that end. So I might hold off on it, but. I, I think you take the kid gloves off, you know. I think you play him a play him a pretty good amount. Um but I might be in the minority on that. Uh let's go with the second round pick, Juju Brents. Where do you have him ranked on the scale from one to ten? Yeah, he's gonna be my highest Eddie. I'm gonna have him at an eight to nine. Now again w- would he be higher if he was healthy? 
I mean, I guess I go nine or ten. <laughs> if he well, were I, I didn't know yeah. if he'd be a definite ten if he was healthy. You know, the only thing where I, I I put him eight to nine. You obviously mentioned health. You know, I don't want to ignore Darius Rush, and, and maybe I'm a little bit higher on Rush, and but I I, I don't want to ignore that. Um, you know, an advantage that Juju Brents has, and I think there are a couple guys that probably fall into this category, Eddie. Like if you're an in-house tight end. I'd be a little nervous about my position on the roster. You know, Shane Steichen does you look at the tight end position in a different realm than you know maybe the previous regime looked at it with Frank Reich. But if you look at corner, like a guy that I feel like is getting really there's just always a skeptical eye on him. You saw it last year with playing time. And I think it's unfair because I think it's such a size requirement. I think Isaiah Rogers gets viewed in a very negative light. Because of his lack of size, um, again, I think you saw it last year with Faison playing more than him for long, long stretches. And if you look at all the corners in that room, Eddie, they all look a lot different than Rogers. Mm-hmm. I'm talking Kenny Moore is more of a slot guy. So that's good news for Juju Brents. It's good news for Darius Rush. It's even good news for Dallas Flowers, considering he is taller than than Rogers. But I think Rogers deserves a very equal opportunity with this playing time. I'm just not sold on. That 100% being the being the case here. But, again, I, I said this when he was drafted, and I'll say it again. If there is a guy to bet the mortgage on a 17-game starter, I would think it would be Brents. And how much more press coverage do the Colts want? You know, it sounds like that is something. Obviously, the bigger corners can help you out in that area. Um, so if that's the case, you know, that's only, I think, going to cater to a guy like Brents. I totally agree with you. A guy who you just said had a fantastic quick communicant, he's up next, Josh Downs. Yeah, and this number might, I think, initially be small to some people. Um, I'll, I'll go six to seven here, and this is more maybe a technicality than anything. But you know, how many times do you start a game in a three wide receiver personnel group? That that's my slight nitpick on it. But I am a firm believer that he need and will be your starting slot wideout. Keep Isaiah McKenzie in a gadget role, and you know. He, he did it over the weekend, Eddie, but, I mean, he can do punt returns, obviously, for you as well. So he can help you out in that area from a playtime standpoint. But, yeah, um, Josh Downs checks a whole lot of boxes. I'm a big fan of his. And I think something that should help the Colts is, you know, when you think about Anthony Richardson's biggest weakness right now or the area where he struggled the most in college, that's the area where Josh Downs excelled the most. Mm-hmm. The shorter throws, the shorter areas, that's where Downs made so much of his hay at North Carolina. So uh, that, you would think, theoretically, would help. We had Josh Downs on our show last week. I'll probably, we'll, let's probably throw that on next week's pod, Eddie. But yeah, I know a lot of people heard it once Downs met the media on Friday. But uh, he was saying with us on Friday morning, like, hey, yeah, Anthony and I were throwing in the parking lot at the hotel the night before and all of that. I think you have a very driven wideout, very similar to T.Y. Hilton, um, maybe a little bit more public than T.Y. when it comes to that, and I think that's very important for your rookie quarterback because these two just obviously will be tied together for years to come. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, how big is our next guy, Blake Freeland? So Freeland is the one that probably I think has the most volatility on this group. I, I labeled him at 3-4, to four, which – you know, part of it is the position that he plays. You don't really rotate offensive linemen. It's not like you sub-package in 
O lineman like you might do a D lineman or a corner or a linebacker or something like that. Is he as big in person as he looks on pictures? He is large. Yes, he is large. He it looks lean too. Yeah. Oh yeah. The Colts have a type at tackle. And it's carrying that weight in a very, very healthy, like again, basketball, power forward, mm-hmm. tight end look to it. You know, Freeland though, Eddie, is one Braden Smith Bernard Ryman injury away from this being a nine or ten. And I don't think anyone else on the group maybe has that sort of volatility. I mean, sure, I guess Gardner Minshew with Richardson, but no one else, I think, just with a snap of a finger could go from your eighth offensive lineman on game day to, again, potentially being an every-week starter for you. So I'll go three or four on Freeland. I know some people have mentioned you know he should compete with Bernard Ryman for the starting job. I I don't think I'm there. I like competition and all that, but I just think Ryman still needs as many reps as possible. He's so young to the position that I think you've almost kind of you've almost showed your hand a little bit and said, "All right, we bet on Ryman. We started him last year a good chunk. You don't draft the guy in the third round with 2 years of tackle experience if you aren't going to commit to him at a strong level." So um, I'll go with three or four here for uh, Freeland. I've been practicing his name, and I've got the first name down. Adi Tamiwa, or I should say Adi Tamiwa Adabare. That's beautiful. I think that's real. Eddie Garrison. The highlight of the 400th pod might be that effort right there. <laughs> Adi Tamiwa Adabare. Yep. Nice job by you. Tommy. Uh, he, he says that that's a route you can go after first reference. Uh, I'll go three or four here. Um, I do think he could be involved in sub-packages. You know, he's mentioned three technique. You know, The thing about him is you would think, given his skill set, quick first step, straight line speed, you know, some of these rush packages, could he sneak into that group? Now, you still have Taekwon Lewis and Dayo Adangbo as guys that I think could slide inside, and, and you probably have them a little bit higher. I know some... You know, feel like Taven Bryant kind of fits that, a veteran one-year signing that they made. But, you know, inevitably there's injuries that happen, and this is a group that you play eight or nine. Yep. So, given all that, I think he could have a sub-package role for you. I think you're a little bit high. Well, I, yeah, you're probably a little bit higher on this than maybe some people. Darius Rush. Eddie, I'll go five or six. Um, I mean, if you were to map out just a cornerback depth chart tomorrow, and let's call everybody healthy in the cornerback room. You know, you're starting outside corners and nickel would be Dallas Flowers, Isaiah Rogers, and Juju Brinson, Darius Rush would be the two backups. So, I mean, when you think about it from that standpoint, I mean, he's right there. And again, we're talking Dallas Flowers and Isaiah Rogers. We're not talking. Quentin Nelson at left guard, yeah. or Jonathan Taylor at, at running back. I think this competition is going to be wide open. And I mentioned earlier, I think Rodgers is viewed in a little bit of a negative light, right or wrong, just because of his lack of size. I still think he can be a pretty effective corner for you. But, you know, the reasons I like Rush, he's still pretty new to the position. So I still think he's growing into a corner. Um, he's got gunner history. They ran super fast at the combine. They played in the SEC. I mean, for a, a, a lot of reasons, I, I scratch my head a little bit of, about at where he was drafted. And also, and the same thing can be said for Jalen Jones when we talk about him a little bit later, Eddie, he's going to get 13 more practices than Juju Brents is going to get this spring. And if you make a strong impression, and all of a sudden 
mid-June gets to late July, and you're mapping out what reps look like for the first day of training camp, you know, if Darius Rush has made a really good, you know, has really good tape in spring, just naturally you're going to be like, hey, I think that guy deserves a few more reps day one. So, beautiful opportunity him and Jalen Jones have. So, I'll go five or six for him. He's a really long corner, too. Mm-hmm. He's got some long arms. Yeah. Yep. I would agree. Uh, the seventh rookie, Daniel Scott. Yeah, I'll go three, four. Um, again, I think he should play all the special teams. As a fourth safety, that's probably where it stops for him. But you know what, Eddie? There's a little bit of like Rodney Thomas to how much he played all over the field at Cal. So those guys are important on game days when you're not dressing a ton. But do you feel comfortable because this guy has played a little bit of nickel and a little bit of safety and different types of safety? And you know, do you want to come down to the box a little bit? You know, that's where I I could put three or four. I don't think he'll be involved in the sub packages, but it's not like your safety depth is entrenched, yeah, or something that you feel totally good about. But certainly as a special teamer, he should get a whole lot of run there. And then a guy that is draft or was drafted into a crowded room, Will Mallory. Yeah, I'll go a little lower here. I'll go 2-3. Um, again, he does have an advantage over this is someone that Shane Steichen has identified, and you can't pass that up whatsoever. But it's still a really, really crowded room. And, you know, what does Kylan Granson look like? Um, now, you would think given his dad's history, 15 years in the NFL as a special teams coach, You'd think Will Mallory would be pretty open to playing on fourth downs and, and doing it at a decent level. But, you know, they are either going to cut a tight end or they're going to have a tight end that is inactive on game days or even is on the practice squad that I think will have a notoriety to him based off name or even resume. So somebody will fall into that group. But, you know, I think on game days right now, I, I would still stick with the trio of a Mo Ali, Cox, a Jelani Woods, a Kylan Granson. We'll see how much a Drew Ogletree, a Farrell Brown, a Will Mallory kind of push into that group. We've hit the final four in terms of rookies that we're predicting some playing time on, uh, or ranking, I should say. Evan Hole, he walks into a a group where he has a role immediately, in my opinion. I'm going to go four or five here. You know, I, I still am a little hesitant, Eddie, on saying day three, rookie running back, here's your third down role. I mean, that is still a mess, especially if you have a rookie quarterback. You know, when you talk about pass protections and, and, and picking people up, that is a lot. So that's where I, I, I'm just a tad hesitant on it. Um, but I will go with 4-5 for Evan Hall is potentially, to your point, being that third down guy for you from day one. You know, Is it Deion Jackson? Does all of a sudden Jonathan Taylor or Zach Moss grow into that? You know, do they spell – Taylor a little bit more on first and second down, and he takes some strides on third down. Oh, wow. Then I think a legitimate practice squad candidate here that the Colts took in the sixth round because I don't think a lot of people know what kind of player he is just yet. Uh, Defensive end, Titus Leo. Yeah, and let's group Leo and Jake Witt together, Eddie, and I'll give both of them one to two. You know, lucky to make the team, but just they scream redshirt practice squad. Especially Jake Witt. Scream it. Um. Yeah. So, put both these guys in the practice squad. Red shirt them. Boom. There you go. I mean, the practice squad has expanded. If you're going to take day three darts, you got to be willing to be patient, and that's what this is. So, wit obviously more than Leo, um, in terms of their physicality and just where they're at right now. But both of them, to me, 
in bold letters, scream 2023 practice squad. Final player, Jalen Jones. I'm going to go a little higher than one to two. I'm going to go three to four on this one, which, again, for a seventh-round rookie is not anything, I think, to kind of gloss over. It's a wide-open position group. It's a dude that started a lot of games in the SEC, You know, very talented high school recruit, all of those things. So, Do you think they could move him back to safety? Because that's where he was recruited out of high school. Yeah, and some people have asked me about this. I would say watching him this weekend, I would say out of him and, and Rush, there's a little bit more to his frame than there is Rush's. Um, so it'll be something I think to monitor. The Colts have given no early indication that that w- will happen, but we'll certainly keep an eye on it. Um, you know, if you're him, you probably look at that corner depth chart and you say, "Hey, let me get a let me get a shot there before I move." Um, but when you get to day three, round seven of the draft, many times it's best to go undrafted. Jalen Jones got drafted, and that's a good thing. He got drafted by this team because that cornerback group wide open. So it really worked out well for him on that end. So as Eddie said, a little bit more in article form. You can check this out up on our website. I'll have it linked in the description on the podcast too. And then for those on YouTube, you can just catch it at the very end on the end screen. It'll be there. Uh, You you can click the link after you're done watching the pod. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, Twitter questions are upcoming. Before that, uh, this is Will Hewlett. We're going to play this interview right now. The quarterback's coach with Anthony Richardson over the past few months. He joined our morning show last week to talk more about the development of Mr. Richardson. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A good Tuesday morning to you. Got a nice-looking start to this day here in Indy. Temperature-wise, though, probably going to be a bit chilly uh, and then warm up later in the week. Speaking of later in the week, he will be back in Indianapolis coming up Thursday night. First rookie minicamp practice for Anthony Richardson will be Friday. And to get more into Anthony Richardson and a big part of his development, Will Hewlett, uh, Quarterbacks Collective. He's been working with Anthony for the past few months. He joins us now. Will, good morning. Good morning, guys. Appreciate having me on. Yeah, appreciate the time. Um, if you know, you obviously have been pretty much the quarterbacks coach for Anthony Richardson post Florida here. If we would have had this conversation last Tuesday, and I would have said to you, Anthony Richardson will be a Colt coming up, your level of surprise would have been what? Uh, not very high. Um, yeah, I was very confident. Just uh, if a certain certain things fell into place in the first and second pick, that uh, he was going to be a Colt for sure. Will, in working with him, before we get to some of the areas that need work about Anthony Richardson, let me give you this platform and let you run with it. If you were to close your eyes and envision a play in the National Football League where the game is on the line and you are watching Anthony Richardson under center for the Indianapolis Colts and he makes a play that has Joe Buck marveling on television and you break out in a sly grin and say to yourself, that's exactly what I knew he could do and why he was selected fourth. That play unfolds how? Uh, There's going to be some form of pressure uh, because that's what we do with young quarterbacks. We pressure young quarterbacks. He is going to take Tom in the pocket uh, probably climb, make a little move, and then throw the ball, I don't know, 65-plus yards down the field with ease. 
on the money over the shoulder for a touchdown. That's how it's going to unfold. And, uh, yeah, I, I, he does that, and he does that very well. So is the ability for Richardson to extend time in the pocket most based on, A, his unique ability to feel pressure around him and then know where to slide, B, his massive physical size that just makes it difficult for him to be brought down, or C, his arm talent that allows him to throw through angles that others would not? Uh, D, all of the above. Um, But I think if we're, you know, his uniqueness in the pocket, his presence there, I think is something that's probably underrated. Um, or underappreciated, maybe. Um, I don't know. Some people have talked about it, but often when you have a quarterback that is a threat um, from a running standpoint and has the ability to kind of break off explosive plays with their feet, um, you know, and then maybe put into a category of like accuracy issues that we overlook some of the other things that I think we would grade highly um, regardless of style of play. And so pocket movement for me has always been one of the things that you can see on film, his presence and awareness, you know, he keeps his eyes downfield. He doesn't get flustered. Um, has been a very high, um, I think, recruitable trait for Anthony. Yeah, poise was something Chris Bauer mentioned last Thursday night when the Colts took him as little to no worry for the Colts. Again, Will Hewlett is with us, uh, quarterbacks coach for Anthony Richardson. Uh, over the past few months, four on-field sessions each week for them. Will, it seems the deep ball is really of no concern. It's more of the short stuff with Anthony Richardson. So uh, just fundamentally, what have you been trying to get him to work on uh, since his career ended at Florida? Yeah, absolutely. So there was a couple things from a technical standpoint, and I think it's 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 important to say that we're you know in in this process um, where we're going to shy away from uh, yes, like were there missed throws that that didn't go the way they you know should have gone that look, look, look somewhat simple. Um, and, and the irony is, if you dig through everyone's film, you can find a bunch of those on from other quarterbacks, but. Um, you know, so there was this narrative we had to kind of clear up, and this and some fun things fundamentally we had to clear up from uh, from just a consistency standpoint. Um, he is, uh, you know, obviously he's still young. Um, he's, you know, not 21 yet, and um, so there's just a volume of repetitions uh, that that he still needs to get in. And I think he's, he's you know, we've accelerated that process considerably. Um, but we wanted to clear up some of the mechanics on the front side of his throw, just be a little bit more controlled with um, his lower body, have more awareness. Uh, I think one of the problems that a lot of quarterbacks have, and, you know, it's, it's just the dynamic of, of um, you know, football. Um, it, it's hard to be a specialist in throwing mechanics as a team coach. Um, so often things you think, well, why are the coaches coaching? They don't have time. Um, and that's why I have a job is because I have time in the off season to work through these things. So, you know, sequencing and, and areas that kind of clear up um, his ability to repeat. And then if he does make a mistake, that's kind of a mechanism to correct that mistake on the next rep. Uh, and that's just, you know, a little thought process. So I think, you know, years ago there was a little picture of Tom Brady going into, uh, you know, camp. And um, he had written on his – on his uh, wrist uh, wristband, it was like, you know, rotate late, stay close. It was like three little reminding cues, right? And so our job is to provide those types of cues, help him come up with those cues that allow him to, you know, if he does miss, um, have a mechanism to kind of correct that pretty quickly. Have you had any conversations with Shane Steichen about, like, him fundamentally and, and what you have worked on and what the Colts will try and continue to work on? 
Um, Shane, I just had a, a brief interaction with while I was in um, uh, in Indianapolis in the combine. Uh, we didn't kind of jump into the fundamental side. Uh, we have spoken our, our team here with um, Tom Gormelli and Danny Thompson. Um, have spoken, you know, in detail and depth with the cult staff um, in terms of building a support system and, and, and understanding what we've done down here in very, very high detail. Uh, so there's a, you know, a smooth transition. It's not, you know, traditionally um, in, in football, the football world, you know, the outside coaches do their thing and the, and the team coaches do their thing. Uh, I think people are realizing that, you know, the, the quarterback coach, uh, the private quarterback coach and, and the quarterback have a relationship um, that's, you know, that's considerable and deep and, and that will usually last and it's where they're going to spend that time in the offseason. And so um, they've done a phenomenal job of even like down to like, hey, the nutritionist you use, um, you know, we want her information so we can fully understand how to support Anthony in this process going forward. Will Hewlett is our guest. He's with Quarterback Collective. He is the quarterback coach for Anthony Richardson. Will, I've got a two-part question here. Um, The first is this. Give me an aspect of quarterbacking that maybe is – like a natural instinct for a lot of quarterbacks that Anthony Richardson has yet to master. Good. Okay. Yep. Um, so I think um, probably the area that um, he has yet to master, but I think has made considerable um, um, progress on, and it was a very a major focus point going into the, the off season was um, really understanding how to throw different speed, um, uh, you know, different levels of velocity on on throws that are under 20 yards and below. And, and I think it was just it's it's fine tuning the mechanics of his, his his throw and his awareness. And ironically, it's not that he was throwing the ball too hard on shorter throws, which you would think for a big arm quarterback. Frequently, it wasn't that he was throwing it hard enough, um, and he was kind of stuck in a little bit of a, you know, um, a gray area where he just, you know, had been told, "Hey, don't throw the ball hard," uh, and that's a hard way to coach you. You know, that, that's a difficult um, uh, term for a quarterback to kind of swallow. So, how I not throw it hard? And so usually they slow the throw down in, in ways that they probably shouldn't. So one of the things that we really spent time on was understanding, you know, actually how hard you can throw um, on, on shorter and intermediate routes. And then we're, especially when receivers were coming towards him, um, it, when he's able to throw them downfield or away from, you know, more of an anticipatory throw, that was, never seemed to be the, an issue. It was ones where they were coming directly at him. And in his mind, he was trying to control and help them, you know, not bounce the ball off their face mask. And we kind of changed his mindset and attitude. And he even spoke about it at the combine, kind of like, hey, it's my job to throw it. And if I throw it hard, they've got to get used to it, uh, something along those lines. And so that was an area I think that he's gotten considerably better at and will continue to improve at. And you'll see that in his game. Okay, so give me an area then. The other side of it for you, Will Hewlett, would be this. Give me an area that for most quarterbacks is a real challenge that you were surprised that it seemed to be completely natural to Anthony Richardson. Yeah, 20 yards and above um, downfield on any outbreaking left or right um, or in-breaking throw 
Um, he was an absolute natural. Um, one of the throws of the combine is, is the uh, old dagger route, which is essentially an 18 to 20 yard dig in breaking throw from the, from the outside wide receiver. And, and the, the way that you're taught to throw this ball in the NFL, it's, it's not a, a you know, line drive, rip it as hard as you can. It is throw it one to two yards outside the hash. You throw it off a specific time. And the receiver has to intersect that point um, at that moment. And so it's a combination of, you know, of a, of a hard breaking route. His ability to place that ball, and I think it was evident in the combine, I actually had an NFL coach um, when I was watching the combine in the stadium turn and look at, he knew that I coached Anthony, turn and look at me and literally with his jaw on the floor after through three dig, dig routes, in-breaking routes. And they were the best in-breaking digs at the combine, in my opinion. Um, I don't think it was televised. So I was a little upset that that part of it was missed. But those were three of his you know, best throws. Um, and he's just a natural at that, where a lot of guys have to really struggle with with um, you know placement timing, and then again down the field outbreaking routes, just a really fantastic job of placing the ball in a position where that guy's going to be able to get it and the defensive back isn't. Does he utilize his mobility and size to facilitate his passing, or does he utilize his passing to facilitate his mobility? Uh, that's a great question. I think um, depending on the situation, really is, is, is you know I know that one thing about Anthony is that if it's if it's a down and distance situation and he's got to get the first down and he's going to get it with um, his mobility or even his one, one unique trait that Anthony has is he has the ability to, we actually measure this, but sustain a high level of speed with uh, additional weight attached to him. So he's like a diesel truck when he runs and you'll see it on film. He'll carry people. Um, and so when he's got to move the chains, then it's going to be – he's not afraid or worried about doing that with his lower body. Now, obviously, moving into the NFL, we want to be conscious of, you know, not taking unnecessary contact, making sure we're developed as a, a, a passer first. Um, but I think depending on the situation, he's going to rely on what he needs to. I think games in college sometimes um, this past year, you know, he was unsure of which side he should focus on. And I think that – led to a little bit of the inconsistency early on in the year when he really just bought in and into what he was as a, as a, as a thrower, as a runner, as a passer, as, a, as a, an operator. Um, his game play went through the, through the roof and just got better and better every week. Again, uh, Will Hewlett is with us, the quarterback coach for Anthony Richardson here over the past few months. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Will, um, you know, I, I'm sure this is probably a challenge for you at, at times, but like, how difficult is it to want to instill these changes, know that they need to have some fundamental changes for Anthony, but you don't want him to get to play like too robotic? You've brought up the word natural a lot. I mean, there are a lot of natural instincts to him that obviously are very gifted. So where is that balance in trying to not get him to be too robotic, but obviously make some changes? Yeah, I think that's the, um, I, I think, and maybe the, the, the plug here for what we do um, that's the art form in, in this draft process, um, and that's why we had a lot of success with, uh, you know, last year we had Brock Purdy. Um, and, and so understanding what to do and how much to do, there is a very fine line, right? Because you don't want them going into an, uh, a competitive environment, um, you know, overthinking what they're doing. Now, the irony is, is we are preparing 
for a dance recital, essentially, right? Like, it's not real football, and I think that's important to identify. But it is important for coaches to pull back the, the curtains and kind of see what's under, you know, behind the scenes there. And, and you want to see people throw in person and see how the ball comes off and see the you know, intricacies or, or um, you know, different differences in quarterback to quarterback. So for us, it was really uh, making a conscious effort you know, it, I have to I have a very short amount of time to get to know someone in terms of how they react to, to coaching and, and how they, um, you know, and, and how I understand, you know, their little nuances of like, okay, that's, that's when he's excited. That's when he's frustrated. Um, so with Anthony, the good thing was it wasn't large mechanical changes. There was just a lot of it was having more awareness brought to certain areas. Um, it was being in a very specific focused routine that allowed him to be have consistency and build on everything that he was doing. Um, and, and so at certain points leading up to the combine, the, the Friday before the combine, we do our, uh, our dry run through. And I literally tell him, I'm like, but I'm not going to coach you once today. You know, if you miss, we're moving on. And uh, I, I remember that day, he didn't miss a single throw throughout walkthrough. And he, at the end of it, was like, I'm going to blow this thing up, speaking about the combine. Um, and, and so he knows. The one great thing about Anthony, too, is that you'll see, you saw it at the pro days or the combine, you'll see them big moments. He's a showman. Um, like, you turn the lights on, and that kid is going to step up to the plate, and, and just he loves um, being in that, that pressure situation. He makes, he makes, he makes as a coach, there's a, a nerve level that I deal with um, you know, that being being honest, right? And he makes you feel better about the environment you're in. So it, it's going to be fun to be his coach at the next level because, um, you know, it's going to be a, a good um, back and forth between those those guys and, and, and uh, you know, watching the preparation pay off um, on Sundays. All right, well, last one for me, and thank you for the time this morning. Again, from the Quarterbacks Collective, he is Will Hewlett. Um, Jim Mersey mentioned that at one point during the process, he called Shane Steichen and said, all right, Shane, tell me why you think you know, Anthony Richardson can become a pure passer. When you look at the completion percentage number at Florida, it's obviously not a pretty number. If Jim Mersey were to call you and say, why is that number going to improve, your answer would be what? You know, I think there's, there's a, a couple levels to it. Um, and, and again, you know, I think Florida is in a – the University of Florida, they're going through transition with coaches, right? Their first year new offense. Um, there's, you know, a lack of um, traditional explosive guys at receiver. Um, and I think, you know, comparatively speaking, you look at the rooms of the Ohio States and the Alabamas and the Georgias, you know, the LSUs of the world um, – there's some really, really talented dudes catching the ball, and it's not to take any away from the, the guys that they're just young and, and, and experienced. Um, and Anthony, you know, was the most explosive player on the field, um, and he wasn't throwing to himself. So I think there's, you know, uh, a level, and everyone's going to have drop balls, everyone's going to have misses, everyone's going to have bonehead plays, right? And, and so you got to take that into account. But I think those levels were probably substantially higher. And, you know, he came out of the Mullen system. He was the first year in a new um, offensive system. You know, I think that, that wasn't really focused around, you know, pushing the ball downfield with easy pass sets, right? There are a lot of, like, you know, two tight end, one back or two back, one tight end, you know, more power run formations. 
Um, and, and they were learning about their, their staff was learning about their team just as much as Anthony was learning about the, the new offense. So there's, there's, <clears throat> you can, you can easily point at the numbers and say, Hey, uh, this wasn't as good as, as this team, this team, this team. And Ohio State and, and, and Alabama, those guys have been running the same system for years now. It's plug and play. Um, and, and so I think you'd find that the numbers would flip a little bit in different situations, but they weren't. So that's your job as a coach and a scout and an evaluator to really look at every single miss and every single decision and go, okay, like, how does, what does Anthony think about this? What does the staff think about this? And what do we think about that? And I think if you do that objectively, you look at the, um, him every single snap the right way, then you get a, you can't not look at the film and go, dang, like we, we got we to gotta draft this guy. I don't know how we don't. Um, there's, there's no wrong decision in picking Anthony Richardson um, uh, as high as he went. And, and um, you know, I, I think they're, they're confident in that, and, and so am I. Will, lastly, and I probably should have asked this at the outset of the interview, so I apologize to give you this platform, but uh, Will Hewlett is our guest who was the quarterback coach for Anthony Richardson. Uh, if you could, how did your relationship in terms of coaching Anthony Richardson, what is the origin of that? And what other or how many other quarterbacks have you worked with that give you kind of the barometer by comparatively which to gauge Anthony Richardson? Yeah, uh, I appreciate you asking. So for, for Anthony, um, I had one interaction with him prior to his final season at the University of Florida. Um, a good friend of mine and um, training partner, his name is Danny Thompson, was was um, Anthony's uh, private coach during during his high school years and at Florida. Um, we also had a pretty strong, I personally had a pretty strong relationship with some of the staff at University of Florida. Um, and so there was, there was a natural um, familiarity. Um, and I think Anthony knew that he, he liked um, the system based on the success that we'd had um, on the performance side with, um, you know, our, our performance part. I think it's four kids are very, Reputable, you know the guys that, that run that. You know, work with Matthew Stafford and um, and and Brock Purdy and um, a bunch of uh, Gardner Minshew. Mr. <laughs> Gardner's a guy that's also worked with that works with our with our, our crew here. Um, so through that process, um, you know, it was one of those things where it just seemed like a natural fit for Ant to, you know, take a little ninety-minute hike up to, to to the Jacksonville area and start his off-season training and. Um, that's kind of how that relationship, you know, grew and, and um, you know, was uh, really just a, a, a good fit that I, that I felt like that, you know, really benefited him um, short term and long term. And then from a comparative standpoint, I think the only other person that I've seen that blows my mind when I see them throw the football um, is Caleb Williams at University of um, Southern California. I've uh, worked with him since they grade. Um, and that's a, that's a young man. Before I met Anthony, I, I said, I've never seen a better in-person thrower than that kid. Um, well, Ant did some things daily that I'm like, I have never seen anyone do that before. Um, so there's not, many, there's not many good comps out there. I think Josh Allen is an easy one to make, not because of the physical stature, the style of play, and that's probably a good one. Um, but it, I think Ant really is his own player, and um, y'all are going to get to see that uh, unfold this next fall. Again, rookie minicamp coming up on Friday. That'll be Anthony Richardson's first time on the field here in Indy. Will, great stuff. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I probably should start there. Uh, great stuff. Anthony seems like a really, really um, just – 
I think fans are going to appreciate him and how he's wired. Uh, confidence yet fully acknowledges the hard work is needed. That's a special quality. So uh, we are excited to watch it all unfold and uh, appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Ready. All right, that was. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Will Hewlett right there. Again, the QB coach for Anthony Richardson. And Eddie, I, I mean, certainly he's going to be pretty positive on his client. By the way, I thought I saw he made $40,000 for the four months of work. Will Hewlett? Yeah. With Anthony Richardson. Is he just some kind of quarterbacks coach? I, I think he's starting to grow a little bit more in that area. You know, he mentioned Brock Purdy, obviously Gardner Minshew. Um, so I think he's not like the Tom House of quarterback guru coaches, but starting to grow a little bit more. So hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I'd like to point out uh, something that we didn't touch on at the start of the pod. Between last week and uh, to, at today's podcast, uh, Rodney McLeod, he signed with the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and, and thank you for mentioning that. I, we had a safety-related question, I think, somewhere in here. So I was going to sneak that in. But, I mean, Eddie, you talk about a dude that just played really sound football for you last year, the third most snaps of any defensive player. Um, you know, there is kind of this youth movement in the secondary at safety and corner that – well, I guess let's just start at safety right now. You know, Julian Blackman in the contract year, Rodney Thomas the second. I'd assume those two are your day one starters at camp. Who's playing strong safety? Is that where Nick Cross, who started the year there, is he going to get that early look there? Then you have Daniel Scott, the fifth-round pick out of Cal. But I think a debate you have to have with corner, safety, and probably right guard. Those are the three positions right now that I think the Colts have a lot of uncertainty on their starters. A question that I would have for the Colts is, do you treat those positions all the same? And by that I mean this. Do you go youth movement across the board? I would at corner and safety. I would not at right guard. I view right guard as a position you need to go out and try and find a veteran in free agency. Because any positions that have direct impact on Anthony Richardson, I don't want to take chances. Mm-hmm. I don't want to commit to youth movements. At corner, I'm fine. You draft the guys really high there. Gus Bradley believes in a different body type. Okay. Then play those guys. Try and find those answers there. Safety, similar sort of thing there. Right guard, though, I don't view Will Fries as like, Oh, he just needs another two to three years of development. Like he's not in that light for me of like a high pick that you've invested a lot in that you just need to play. Like 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 Ryman, mm-hmm. for example. Not to mention, I think Ryman is probably your best option. AKA, there's no left tackles out on the market that you would throw in there. So um, that's how I would approach those kind of three final positions, if you will, on the depth chart for this season in terms of okay, what do you need to invest in? How should you go about it? What's the outlook on this season? Those sorts of things. So I hope that makes sense. Again, kudos to Roddy McLeod. Great season. I, I, Cleveland probably will win more games than the Colts. It's not like the Super Bowl sort of team. I thought he would maybe try and join. He's got history with Jim Schwartz from their days in Philly, who's now the Cleveland D.C. So all of that kind of checks out. But I think if I view those three spots, I'm going to kind of view it in that realm of play the youth at corner and safety 
don't necessarily fall into that trap at right guard. Mm-hmm. Ready for Twitter questions? I am. I, I thought Ryan McLeod, though. Solid. I did, too. Great pro. Yeah. Yeah. Very solid. Zach is up first. How much does strength of early season schedule play into Anthony Richardson starting? If we start Houston, Atlanta, Carolina, is Richardson more likely to start than if we started the season with Jacksonville, Baltimore, New England? Thanks, as always. Yes, I appreciate that one to lead off here. Again, schedule release coming up a little bit later this um, this week, it sounds like. You know, Ursay, I think, even mentioned, like, at New England as that game that you circle, given Belichick's history with rookie quarterbacks. You know, the earlier bye, I, I, I guess, Eddie, would you be more willing to wait? Like, if you had a week six bye, I don't know, would you say, hey, let's start Gardner for the first six and then their first five and then throw Richardson in there? I know this is kind of a crazy thought, but, I mean, hell, in 2019, you saw Jacoby get off to a 5-2 and two start. I mean, what if you got... It, like, this to me is the worst-case scenario for the Colts season. You start Gardner Minshew from day one. You go 5-2 and two to start the year. 5-2. and two. Everybody's high on the Colts. Surprise team, blah, 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 this and that. So, your plan to turn to Richardson at some point is gone because you've gotten off to such a good record, you don't feel like you can bail on that. And then you wilt down the stretch. You have a Tennessee Titan-type close to this season like they had last year. So you go from five and two to eight and nine. And all of a sudden you're at the end of the year, you're eight and nine, you're drafting twelve overall, and Gardner Minshew has been your starter for seventeen games. That sounds awful to me mm-hmm. as a Colt season. So I'm just trying to remember like Atlanta last year, they had a shot to win the NFC South and they said, nah, we're good. And they came out of the bye week and started Desmond Ritter instead of Marcus Mariota. That's a great point. It's a great analogy. Um, and ironically, you play the NFC South this year. So, yep. I, I, like, I think the Colts' schedule is going to fall. Is well, we'll talk about this more next week, Eddie. If I'm not mistaken, of their 17 games, I believe only two are against teams that won double digit games last year. They have a very easy schedule. And both are on the road. Their home schedule has no one. We, we, we listed off the quarterbacks that are going to play at Lucas Oil Stadium this year. Trevor Lawrence is like the best QB. You're playing Baker Mayfield. You're playing, I think, Ritter. Maybe Kyle Trask. You don't know. Yeah. I, uh, is Derek Carr? Maybe it's Derek Carr and the Saints coming to L- Lucas Oil. It's just a Matthew Stafford, depending on what he has left in the tank. Jimmy Garoppolo, is he here or Jimmy are they James. there? Sixth straight year that you're playing the Raiders. It's unbelievable how you play the Raiders on an annual basis. But, um, you know, people will bring up the can you play Richardson in sub packages? I, I get that thought, short yardage, red zone. It's obviously his strength. But, Eddie, this goes back to the – again, I'll continue to make the golf analogies. The dude can hit the driver. I'm not worried about that. What does his wedge game look like? I'm not worried about him in short yardage. I'm not worried about him running it. Read option, I think the Colts are going to have a dominant trait right away with Richardson and Taylor. My question becomes – what happens when you get him in normal drive settings, transitioning from quarters to quarters, two-minute stuff, those things, get him out of his comfort zone. That's how I kind of view it. I'll go the um, I'll go the baseball route here. Aaron Judge gets so much uh, you know attention for his power, but nobody really talks about his ability just to put the ball in play and be a contact hitter. 
at his size. Um, and if you wanted another analogy, you've got so many pitchers in today's game where they just want to strike out every batter. Yeah. And then there's Clayton Kershaw out there who's just, you know, nickel and diamond every single hitter. He's, you know, he, he plays the long game. You know, it's like a, you know, a, a, an NBA player that feels like their right hand is their dominant hand. So they just spend an entire workout session working on the left. Like you are doing that to try and make yourself uncomfortable. Again, for Richardson, let's get him uncomfortable as early as possible, see how that goes, and transition from there. Jason St- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Twitter question is up next. He wants you to tell him... He's wrong. I'm oh. normally a baptism by fire guy when it comes to quarterbacks, but I think I had that idea with pocket passer quarterbacks. These running or mobile quarterbacks take more punishment than those guys. We talk about running back workload management. Is it the same with these type of quarterbacks? Is it worth to get Anthony Richardson out there week one, week six? I think the instinct to run in his head will be dominant early when things break down. Might it be better to let him sit a little bit longer, not the whole year, and not the entire games to let him learn so he's not taking a beating early on. It's a really good point. Um, strong point there by, by Jason. Um, <laughs> my initial thought is this, Eddie. Well, then why do you take the predominantly running quarterback in the first place if you're that worried about it? Also, I want to point out that Richardson doesn't just run to run. Most of the times when he does run, he has... A reason like he doesn't just take off to take off yeah and, and when nothing's there he will run yeah I, I i would tend to agree with that i also understand where jason's coming from i do as well when you get into the uncomfortable settings you're probably going to be a little bit more like oh let's go back to the thing i know well let's go back to the thing i feel most comfortable with um you know i i brought this up around the draft and if you're going to label a guy a, a passer and a runner like i would call patrick mahomes 80% of his game is a passer, 20% is running. And when I say running, I also mean just keep things alive. Escapability. Using your legs. So Mahomes is like an 80-20 to me. I would venture to say Anthony Richardson is an 80-20 in the reverse of that right now. 80 runner, 20 thrower in his game. If I were like molding the exact quarterback that I would want for my NFL franchise, it would be much closer to the 80-20 passer runner than the 80 20 runner passer really i think for the point that jason brings up mm-hmm. i also think it's easier to defend a run game more consistently than it is to defend a passing game i know with a quarterback it makes for a unique element so maybe that's not as apparent but i think you see running quarterbacks bow out a little bit earlier in playoffs than you do again great throwers um so I think you want to get to a point where can you smash that closer to 50-50? You know, where he is obviously a great runner, but you aren't as reliant on that to where you aren't running it 13 times a game, which, again, I don't think you necessarily will be. But right now, if you were going to go play quarterback tomorrow with Anthony Richardson in a football game and you want to try to win the game, you'd probably run him 13 or 14 times because yeah. that is the thing that he does the the best. and. You know, he does have that deep ball element, which, you know, naturally you're going to take more shots of that. You're going to hold on to it. Of course, his sheer size, you know, you would hope that that makes him more 
able to take on those hits. But I think Jason's point is a decent one. Um, part of me kind of looks at it as, again, you got to kind of have gloves off if you're willing to take this sort of quarterback. You can't be that hesitant or that afraid to not play to his strengths for a large, large portion of it. But overall, the thought makes sense. Again, ideally, which I know this does not work out, you know, each way, I would think Caleb Williams probably falls more into the 80-20 passer th- runner. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is the type that you would like because you aren't taking as many hits. You're not as reliant. You got look at Patrick Mahomes' ankle injury throughout the playoffs. He did pretty good on that ankle after the Jacksonville game. You know, if Richardson has the same ankle injury, that's probably not happening. That level of success, considering how that player is in affiliation with his runner, thrower, that sort of thing. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I wanted to bring up that part of it in the last turtle question, but I held off because of that one, just because I'd be concerned, like, for two things. If they went the, you know, with Richardson sub packages, one, you're putting a lot of, you're putting some extra hits on him. Yeah. First of all, and that can shorten the shelf life on a guy like Anthony Richardson. Number two, there are like certain nuances with the quarterback and the offensive lineman and the chemistry. So like, let's say, you know, you've got Gardner Minshew leading you down the field and all of a sudden you get inside the red zone. All right, Anthony, you're in. Now the offensive line, I think, has to, you know, change their mentality with who's there at quarterback to a certain extent. I I think that's a pretty good point. Um, And I've heard offensive linemen go both ways on it. I've heard some say, I love having the runner back there because he makes up for my mistakes. Others will say, I never know where he is, so mm-hmm. it's difficult to to block. Um, I'll go back to a strength that the Colts have mentioned a lot about Richardson. There is that poise factor that I think you really, really like with him. And again, it's not just a deer in headlights, my eyes go down and I want to run. It's trying to look for something in the throwing game. Now, how effective he's been in that is fair, but it's not like he's compounding bad plays and making them worse. Going with Jay Schreiber or Jay Schreiber? Uh, boy, that's a great question. Let's go Schreiber. I thought so because the I was before the E here. So Jay Schreiber is up next. Wanted to ask if they do plan to start Anthony Richardson right away. How much do they play him in preseason? Was an interesting debate my father-in-law and I had. It's a really good question, Eddie. And it's not something that I have thought of throughout this. I, I guess, if you don't mind, I might throw this at you. What would you say? Would you it, let's say Anthony Richardson is your day one starter? How do you treat him? Are we are we just at three preseason games? By the way, is that yes. is that for good? Yes, I would say if it were me, I'd say the first half in each of the first two games, maybe into the third quarter a little bit in game two, uh, and if he and he has solidified himself as the starting quarterback, and you're seeing the results. Granted, it is the preseason, but you're seeing results and the work that he's put in with his accuracy. Uh, I mean, he's able to kind of just have an understanding of the playbook and how to read some defensive uh, schemes. I know it's preseason, so nobody's showing anything exotic. You're not seeing anything too crazy. I'd say maybe a quarter for the third. Yeah, you know, my thought on play preseason playing time could not be more different from how the Colts have treated it here over the past few years. You know, I view it in this light. A couple series in week one. I would view it in a half in week two, and I would say into the third quarter in week three. Um, and I would say that for no matter really who the quarterback is, especially when the Colts have had all this turnover at the position, and Matt Ryan's getting used to new personnel, those things. Again, the Colts have not. When I saw how the Colts looked in Buffalo to start 
that first preseason game, I thought to myself, oh boy, is this a trend? And then the joint practices didn't go great with the Lions, particularly in the trenches. And sure enough, what happened? Yeah. The offensive line was a huge issue to start the season. So I think there is some merit with that. Um, as far as this one, I would like to play him relatively normal with him. You know, again, get used to the, hey, this is a two-minute drill. Hey, this is you coming out of halftime, and we've made a few tweaks and a few few adjustments with that. So that, that that's a really it, – it's a great question. I don't have a terrific answer on what I think the Colts would do. I'm just speaking on how I would handle it. Um, and, you know, a lot of it, Eddie, is it'll be interesting to see how the Colts handle that part because I brought up 30-some practices Anthony Richardson will have between now and the end of training camp or the end of the preseason. At that point, week one of the preseason, he will have had like, you know, twenty of his practices. So I mean, still a decent chunk, but yeah. you're not you're you're still early in evaluation process in terms of, you know, obviously playing time and all of that. But yeah, I would say a couple of series or a quarter week one, again a half week two into the third quarter week three. That's my thought, and I can fully acknowledge. I know that I'm in the minority with that compared to virtually all the NFL, but especially the Colts. Yeah, it'll be just certain. It's just certainly an interesting debate too, because of the three preseason games now, you have a week off between the final preseason game and regular season. So, do you play him or your starters more in that third game, so they're more ready for Week One, or do you play them less and they're more rested for Week One? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's a solid two weeks, right? Two and a half to three weeks, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm just more of a believer in letting him play a little bit more, just because he needs the game reps that we've talked about yeah. religiously. Right. Uh, Gary's up next. This one was submitted after the uh, the draft. Uh, so clearly, the Colts are is it relative athletic score? Yes. Uh huh. Disciples. So, does that mean they're prep? Uh, presib- oh, I always struggle with this word. Present. No. Presupposition. Oh boy, boy. Yeah, that's a lot of s's and p's. I know. Presumption. No, pre- I think it's presupposition. Okay, boy. I Gary, think Gary's going SAT word on it. I know. I I read it over like three times, and I was like, I all right, I can say. And it's just. You know, just <laughs> twist my tongue around. Yeah, I, coming from you know a kid that used to have a stuttering issue back in the day and still fights it on occasion, um, I would have probably just said, "Yeah, okay, Gary, um, let's move on to the next one." Uh, okay, so I'll do it over. Okay, <laughs> so clearly the Colts are Raz disciples. Big so does Raz that mean, fans, we know that. So does that mean that our presupposition is wrong about the importance of that metric, lack of coaching them up, or what has led to some of those athletes' freaky traits not resulting in game day performance? Thanks, Kevin. Love the pod and the Colts and Tiger Woods. Yeah, I um, I, I coaching them up. I would guess, um, you know. If, First off, it's a fair question, and this has kind of always been the approach. Um, I think you need to find that balance where you're kind of betting on some more college production with that. Um, I do think this group has kind of a mix of strong college success and then the then the RAS score. You know, I would say Juju Brents, um, Josh Downs, Blake Freeland, I mean, those three, even Adabari. I, I remember when they drafted him. I'm thinking to myself, gosh, his production had to have just been really low at Northwestern. He actually had like decent production. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, Evan Hall, of course, had great production at Northwestern. So those are some of the areas that I kind of point to of finding that happy balance. It almost seems like the Colts have fallen in this trap where they're just like, good character, good athletes, and then you just dump them on the coaching staff and say, you guys figure it out. And, you know, this isn't a decathlon. You know, there is an element to playing football that is a little bit different. So I think finding a little bit more of that medium would be something that they – that they need to work on. Last week on uh, the pod, I mentioned something about, you know, Ballard finally taking a wide receiver early. And I, what I meant to say was that he finally took a wide receiver early in the draft that had college production. And I think that plays a little bit into the factor of this Twitter question is that they get so caught up on the traits sometimes that I feel like they forget that some of these guys didn't produce in college. So it's like how much of that, can you expect to grow into the NFL? Like, if they can't produce in college with those traits, what makes you think they can right. produce on a bigger stage? Yeah, and a lot of it is just like, when do you think the developmental point of their career has peaked? You know, and obviously the Colts bank on more of that happening at the NFL level. And there are examples of, again, the Colts hitting on that, but there are also examples of Gary's point of them not hitting on that. So that, I think, is a fine line that you um, that you fall into. Are you more confident? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. ...in this coaching staff's ability to develop raw talent in the last regime and why. This is from Randall. I had my eye on Blake Freeland as a Chris Ballard candidate and we got him. Is there a sense that he may supplement Bernard Ryman as the left tackle and then maybe slide or sorry he's saying that Bernard has the right tackle and then maybe slide Bernard over into interior or is that just tackle depth a lot of analysts and fans had guard or center on their radar and I see a lot of disappointment for them not getting an interior guy yeah you know I I get this question a lot about moving Braden Smith moving Bernard Ryman into guard I I, I don't Ryman's got zero history of being an interior guy. And, Eddie, the biggest question with Ryman, the biggest question with a guy like Blake Freeland, certainly the biggest question with a guy like Jake Witt, they all come from tight end basketball backgrounds. Yeah. They've grown into these tackles, which means they're good in space and they struggle against power. So from an interior run game, run blocking standpoint, that's where they have questions. So you'd be moving them into a position of weakness, mm-hmm. theoretically. Um, so that's where I don't fully kind of understand where this thought process, or just don't agree with it, I guess, where that thought process come from. It's that, you know, you've got to build these guys' strength up, lower body, et cetera, to handle the Justin Houstons of the world, you know, the Quiddy Pays of the world, more of the power rushers than the pure speed guys. Um, now, to the coaching staff point, and this guy gets back to the previous question, the Colts have retooled virtually their entire offensive staff. So clearly they feel like a little bit of a younger staff, whatever. They can cater a little bit more to that to that degree. I think something that I do like about this draft, Eddie, um, I mentioned the pre- premium positions on last week's podcast and recapping things. I think you also have to point out, you know, the Colts took six offensive players. Mm-hmm. That's their highest total since 2012. What happened last year? You just had your worst offense in the NFL. So... For those reasons, I think it makes a whole lot of sense to um, to have gone heavy on on offense. And and when you look at this year's opponents, 
you've got some pretty notable like edge rushers that yeah. these tackles are going to have some great point. Uh, to have some have their hands full with and some experience. Yeah. Because I mean, you've got Cleveland, you've got Miles Gary, you've got Pittsburgh with T.J. Watt. Um, and then uh, Cam Jordan out in New Orleans. I mean, those are just three. You got Max Crosby, and then of course Aaron Donald. Like there are a, Brian Burns in Carolina. Like there are a lot of talented edge rushers on the schedule for this upcoming year. Definitely. Uh, Flippin's question is up next. Given the draft and the current roster construction of the Indianapolis Colts, what is the best result for the 2023 team? Is the ceiling winning a bad division? Is the floor basically being the 2022 Bears? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gosh, my eyes are bleeding on that. I mean, Eddie, it's probably something I'll say a lot between now and September. I don't think there is a division that has as crystal clear a favorite in the NFL than this one. And one player has everything to do with that. Mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence and the Jags, of course, I mean by that. If Trevor Lawrence tears his ACL tomorrow, who's the division favorite? Oh, boy. Who's the backup in Jacksonville, first of all? Is it still C.J. Beathard? I mean, who would be the favorite, in all honesty? Would it be Jacksonville, still? I mean, they have the skill position players for, you know, an average quarterback to pan out. Would it be the Titans? I, mean, I don't know. Like, like, I mean, as bad as the Titans were to win to end last season, they still were one game away from winning the division. I think they're closer to that than they were how they started the year. That's just my opinion, though. Sure. I mean, would it be the Colt? I, I, again, I mean, a lot of these are just... Could Jonathan Taylor? C.J. Beathard, yes. And a run game lead this to... Like, <laughs> so this question, unfortunately, I just don't think it can be answered until you know how many games Richardson is starting. Um, six and a half, has that been the early over-under? Yeah. Boy, I, I I tend to think slightly over that. Um, I don't know where that would stand in it, but I just don't think the schedule is that that daunting. I've seen so many mocks for 2024 already where they have like the Colts picking third or fourth, and I'm like... Right, and I know a lot of people just do like the power rankings at the end of the year, just plop that up as the draft order. Um, again, maybe I'm, I'm wrong on that, but... And I think especially if Menchu starts a little bit more, but... Who knows on that end? Uh, I got two t- questions left. Kyle. Jason is up first. Is Julian Blackman being phased out? Maybe he's a better fit for Matt Eberflus than Gus Bradley. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting point, Eddie. I feel like there are guys, and again, Isaiah Rogers' body type, some of those tight end in-house guys, potentially Blackman, they fall into the previous regime. So, how does that impact them? Um, you know, Daniel Scott, that was a pretty early pick for a pure special teamer. Chris Bauer seems to think he can play on defense, all of that. So it's a contract year for Blackman. This is huge. Um, I, I, I still think he can give you something pretty good, but what a big year. Big, big year for him. Last Twitter question comes from Rodney. Anthony had been coached a few times at Florida to not throw the ball so hard because his receivers couldn't catch it which is a terrible cue to give a quarterback with a big arm. Uh, Gormley said of NFL Network reporter Cameron Wolf, even out the here, he would baby throw sometimes. He would get ready to get to let it loose, and you could see him slow everything down, scoop his elbow, get low, and baby that throw. It didn't get to the spot. It faded or it was behind. We told him just to let it go. This is the NFL. They're going to catch it. 
Yeah, again, I think there are some probably some coaching stuff at Florida that we should maybe get a little bit more into. Um, but this is why you make the Steichen hire. You know, you've got a guy that's kind of open to molding his offense. I thought Jim Bob Cooter had a really interesting point that with the next pick. I was going to bring that up. I had it up here. Okay, Jim Bob says something to the effect of like, in the right environment, which I believe we're building here, he's got the best possible chance to get to that upside guy. Um, and then he said something very similar along those lines again, like he's got a real chance to be very successful if we do this the right way. And I thought it was a really good point. Again, that is why you have Shane Steichen. And I also think this is a point that we're probably not there with Anthony Richardson in 2023, but at some point we will be there, Eddie. At some point, Buffalo went and said, let's go get Stephon Diggs. Mm -hmm. Philadelphia said, let's go get A.J. Brown. You know, at some point, you've got environment is personnel and support along with coaching. So at some point, you've got to go out and take the big wide receiver swing in all likelihood. That's that's where it's out there. Um, I guess a couple things on the with the next pick that I found interesting. You know, Morocco Brown has such great analogies throughout, and he had one about squeezing the juice out mm-hmm. and how you don't need to get all the juice out of Anthony Richardson for him to still be really, really talented and really impactful. I think that's a good point, and it's something that I've tried to make. And like, you don't need him to go from fifty-four percent to seventy-one percent. Just get him to sixty-three. Yeah, and and that that's still a big jump. But if he gets to sixty-three, you've got a dynamic runner and a big ball thrower that can help you out and kind of offset the methodical rhythm to a passing game. Um, so I thought those were a couple of things of just with the next pick on um, with that. Now, again, as far as the accuracy, I had somebody DM me, it's probably about a week ago now, about a lot of these quarterbacks, a lot of starting quarterbacks, you can point to their collegiate careers, and they made big accuracy jumps throughout their football career, college mm-hmm. to the pro. Guys you wouldn't think. Like, you know, for example, I think Stafford was one of them. Stafford had a really low completion percentage at some point at Georgia. And then it's turned into, a, obviously, a pretty darn good quarterback in the NFL. The interesting point on that list is a lot of these guys made their second-year jump, or their, their I should say they made their big jump in accuracy in college. At some point, they took a big jump. Now, obviously, you have guys that, in Allen's case, made it much more in the NFL. But for the most part, many of these guys that you would think is good throwers of the football, they made jumps again in college. The question now becomes, can Richardson do that in the NFL? Is it easier to do in college? Class, the, the the people debating that would say, yeah, it's it's easier competition in in college. The people in the NFL would say, you've got a better environment, you got better coaching to do it in the NFL. But that's kind of the question now: is you're asking Richardson to make a jump, mm-hmm. but you're asking him to make a jump in professional football. So that's where I guess kind of the question happens: of you know if you're crawl you know walk run it's easier to walk in college or is it easier to walk in the NFL cuz that's kind of where you're at i hope that analogy makes sense but i'd like to uh throw this out there we had peter burns of espn and sec network on the midday show last uh-huh. week so he got to see a lot of richardson with him covering the sec and he brought up an interesting point that i hadn't really heard talked about much is that Florida didn't really know how to use him. Like 
the coaching staff and like fans were kind of excited that he actually stayed in the draft. Like they weren't like, oh, he needs to stay another year kind of deal because the they felt like he would be better in the NFL because the offensive system they wanted to use in Florida didn't really fit what Anthony Richardson can do. Right. And Billy Napier's staff did not recruit him. You know, he was a Dan Mullen guy. Correct. And, and um, Sale, I believe, is their offensive coordinator. He comes from more of an offensive line background. So, again, I don't know if that impacted things. To that point, Eddie, Shane Steichen, of course, is much more open-minded. And I think you will see that here. Uh, but, again, the question becomes, certainly, how does he adapt to NFL speed and some life, which is a whole lot different. Something I'm a big believer in, kind of like you are in the NBA, like with Jay Nivey, for example, coming into the draft this past year and coming into the NBA, a lot of people projected him to be a much better pro than he was in college because of the spacing on the floor. Yes. Uh, and I think that's a true thing in the NFL, too. Like the spacing in the NFL is way, way better than I think in college because especially at Florida because they did a lot of inline formations they didn't spread them out wide often with their playbook and I think if you put Anthony Richardson in that situation if you spread it out a little bit more I think it becomes a little bit easier for him and you'll see the improvement in that accuracy than that people are wanting to see I think that's a good point um this week should be relatively quiet on the Colts NFL front we'll see about schedule release later in the week we'll recap that on next week's pod and again get into a little bit more big picture stuff throughout the offseason now that things are quieting down 400 down 400 400 baby Eddie Harrison thank you yes sir congratulations thank you I appreciate it thank you to all of our listeners um without you don't have a job so greatly greatly appreciate everybody for that and uh, we'll talk to you next monday right here on kevin's corner see you